All right. How's everybody doing? Yeah. You're just excited. It's college football season. NFL is so last decade. Well, I am Todd. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, one of the elders. And um, let me just say this. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome being with our family. Um, we're not the best family probably on the planet. We're not the worst. We're probably somewhere in between. But one of the things that we really seek to do is to make our life center around the person of Jesus. And so my hope here today is that you, in your encountering of us, hopefully you wouldn't just encounter us, that you would encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you would, you would get to know him today if you don't already know him. But we're in the book of Matthew. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Like I said, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and uh, we'd be happy to be able to get you one. But we've been going through the book, and, and let me just say this off the front end. I'm so thankful that we, Christian and I were having a discussion many months ago about what are we going to teach next, and I think he was the one that just really convinced me, you got to do Matthew, you got to do Matthew. And I was like, oh, you're just young and dumb, and you don't know what you're talking about. But um, no, I, I it really just, I am so glad we're in the book of Matthew, man. Because we get to see Jesus in a different light, right? It's the best thing in the world. I would just say this. Anytime we get to see Jesus in the various facets of who he is from a different angle, man, we should jump at it. Because I think the most important vision that you can have is not of this world or this, these things or whatever's going on in life, but is to have a vision of Jesus. And so that's what the writer of Matthew does for us. Now, in our kind of study of it, we've been trying to ask this question in and around, what does it mean to be disciples who make disciples? Like, we want to passionately make that the center of who we are as a church all the time. And we want you to see that the, the ultimate one that we're following after, kind of like Paul talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, is you can follow me, but ultimately you're following Jesus. And in this particular section of it, you know that we, we, we've been talking about this, is that Jesus had probably been serving in Galilee, especially the northwest corner of Galilee, mostly that area, for about a year and a half. He collected all these guys from different places to be his followers. These men and these women were his disciples, and they were falling around. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders. He was preaching the kingdom. But then the thing we talked about last week, man, is people started getting a little antsy and a little upset with Jesus. Even so, probably the way that we understand it is Herod Antipas, kind of the leader of that particular area at the time, even him, the, the guy that killed John the Baptist that Christian talked about in chapter 14, he was probably getting a little antsy about Jesus. He was hated by the religious leaders, not just in Galilee, but now last week, all those leaders that came from Jerusalem, they're going back. You know that they're feeling a little sore about who Jesus is. He was supposed to give the people bread, right? These disciples of his bread, and he didn't give them bread. So they went and they took off from Jesus. The zealots were upset because they were trying to make him king and take him back to Jerusalem. They didn't like Jesus. The Essenes, well, like I said last week, they lived in Arizona or Idaho, right? They had run away from there. That's where they were. But there was a tipping point going on. And you see Jesus then in a very cool way almost. He starts to kind of pull away from the crowds and these close followers of his, he just starts to pour his life into them. In fact, I think these next few chapters, while we're gonna see Jesus do some pretty incredible things, the intimacy he shares with the guys that are around him is powerful. On this particular one, you can see this though, that they kind of hit the, the, the skids on some different things. Life had, was kind of crazy. We also know this. He was the peak of his popularity. And it says in there that Jesus went away from there. And it says he withdrew. 
Now, this word withdrew is so interesting. You'll, you'll see it like uh, earlier on. He withdrew when he was about ready to get killed. So in some ways, we know to withdraw meant probably the Jesus with all the tension that he was feeling, because we know this at different points, he would have to get out of the situation not to be stoned or not to be killed because it wasn't the time yet. We also know, though, in Matthew 14, the way that Christian laid it out there was is that we also know he withdrew when his his cousin, the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist, had been murdered. But we also know at different points we're going to see this, that this idea of withdrawal is just to take his disciples away from him because, like I said, he wanted to teach them things. Now, the classroom of Jesus wasn't this. It wasn't him standing in front of everybody in these nice little chairs, you know, and him laying out these, you know, didactic truths that we're supposed to follow. He carried them with him throughout life. And in this now, we find out that the place that the next classroom is going to be is up in Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you don't know anything about kind of that area, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. It's the small little body of water, but kind of up to the northwest, up in, up in that particular section, is this place of Tyre and Sidon. It would have been mostly a Gentile area. Now, Jesus, we're going to learn in this text, but we also know this. He wasn't sent to the Gentiles but have you ever thought about it? How was Jesus ever going to teach his disciples how to minister to Gentiles if he didn't go show them? So I think on many levels, what Jesus is doing here is now he's going up in and amongst the Gentiles. He's not doing a ministry to them. His mission's not to them, but he's going to minister to his disciples for the Gentiles. You're going to kind of see this as we walk through it. Now, we also know, though, he's going to leave there, and it says he's going to walk beside the Sea of Galilee, which kind of doesn't give us a whole lot of clues. And that's why I'm so thankful Mark wrote to us Gentiles so that we could understand some of this, is that he was going to go to the region of the Decapolis. Now, Decapolis, Deca, Ten, Polis City, this is how original the Greeks were. It was just ten cities. And so what it was was more on, like, the eastern side of the lake, and it was very Gentile as well. He was going to swing down around that area. Now, finally, though, after swinging down around that area, he was going to then leave, and he was going to eventually go back to this place, Magadan, which is up again where he had been doing ministry amongst Galilee, so it's kind of up in this particular area. He was going to cross the sea to get there. Now, here's what's so cool about this. We get little clues that probably the ministry for this started sometime in the spring because we find out about this, that it was around the Passover in chapter 14 that Jesus had them sit down, and it says he had them sit down, down upon the cortos, the grass. They sat down on the grass, and he began to then feed them. We find out later, we're going to see this in our text today, though, he asked the Gentiles to sit down upon the, the ground, or probably the dirt is poor the idea, meaning that we're probably talking somewhere between spring and late summer in which this ministry was taking place. So Jesus was going to spend multiple weeks in a row with these guys, but the main focus of it was that he was going to teach them how to do ministry to Gentiles. Now, here's one of the things that I'm going to do today, okay? So you got to get this in your mind. In chapter 14, we, we got this because Christians said there's these two questions that people tend to ask. One is God able, and one is does God care? And we asked this in regard to the Jewish people. Is God able? Yes, the answer was yes. Is he then also caring towards the Jewish people? The answer was yes. But the important part for us today, especially when we look at verses 21 through 28, that's why I'm going to start in 29 and go through 39 and then come back to 21 to 28. I think there's important questions we have to ask is not only does God love the Jewish people, does he able towards the Jewish people, 
Does he care for the Jewish people? But is he able towards Gentiles too? Because most of us sitting in this room, we are Gentiles. You get that, right? We, we are the Gohim. We are the ones outside of God's people. But also, though, does he care? I think ultimately those are the two questions most people ask whenever I'm talking with them about Jesus. Is he able and does he care? Now, in this particular text we're going to look at, when we get to verse 30, uh, 29, is that we find him down on that side of, of Galilee. And as he's walking down along that side of Galilee, it says the crowds came to him. Now, if you can just imagine being with these guys, everywhere you go, crowds are starting to come. And I'm sure even in some ways, they're sitting there thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, another crowd is coming. Now, they would have known about it. We find out way back in Matthew 4 that the fame of Jesus was spreading all over, including to the Decapolis. There's word just getting about, about who this Jesus guy and what he's doing. Now, the moment that they get there, though, and this is what I love... People knew about him because they were bringing, it says in there, the lame. See that? The blind. They were bringing the crippled, the mute. They were bringing many others. This idea was, is we know who this Jesus is, and all those who were sick had the different uh, capacities in which they needed help with. They were coming to Jesus, and the thing we find out about them is the, the moment that they begin to encounter Jesus, those things begin to be healed. Now, I put this one in red up there. You can see that, the word crippled, because it carries with it this idea, though, something that wasn't that became true, meaning if your hand was deformed, the idea was is that it was now formed. If you didn't have an eyeball in your eye socket, the eyeball got formed. If you didn't have an arm, Jesus was forming out of nothing people's hands that would come out. Now, let me just tell you this. If I today came in and I had Bob come up here, let's say Bob had a withered hand, and all of a sudden I just went, thunk, and his hand went, thunk, you all would freak out, and you know it. You would freak out. And that's what's going on in this. Everybody's coming, and the words that he uses in there also is, is that not only are they coming, but that word put them at Jesus, it sounds like such a nice word, like they just came in and put them at Jesus. That word, you know what it means to throw at? In other words, they're taking people and just putting them at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus is like, funk, ding, dong, you know, everything is just coming. And just imagine for a second, people are just probably going, okay, first of all, I'm thankful, you know, Aunt Hilda now has her hand back, but this is freaking me out. And it says in there that they, they wondered when they saw. That word means to have awe. It means to be dumbstruck. It means their mouths were on the ground as they were watching this. But the other thing that we know is that they glorified. And you know this from the Old Testament. We've talked about this before. Anytime the glory of God manifested himself, there was great fear amongst the people. So if you can just imagine, again, just being there and seeing this and watching as hands are coming out and people are just wondering, how in the world is this Jesus doing this? There was awe and wonder. They're marveling at what God is doing there. But you know in this there was even fear. But I love this. Jesus is taking his disciples up there, and they didn't just worship any God. They worshiped the God of Israel. They were Gentiles. You know, Jesus in his classroom is going, did you see this, boys? Did you catch it? We're doing all these things. We're manifesting all these things as a reminder of who the true God is. 
The gods east of there, the gods north of there, the gods south of there, those aren't the true gods. All throughout the Old Testament, who is the true God? The one true God of Israel, and that's who these people were worshiping. And don't forget this, this is the groups of people that later in Matthew 28, when he says, go to all the nations, this is who he's sending them to. He's saying, see that, this harvest field that's ripe ripe and ready to go? They're ready for the God of Israel. Now the question then we have to ask ourselves, is God able towards the Gentiles? The answer? Yes. Now it's implied in here you might go, well, you know, and that means he kind of cares too. But it's almost like Matthew wants to make sure that we know that Jesus cares about the Gentiles. Because by the time then he gets to 32, he says, Then Jesus and his disciples, they, 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 excuse me, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have what? Compassion. If you remember, Christian talked about that. It's just the guts. Jesus ached in his guts for these people. He had a heart for them. He saw their human condition. He saw what was going on in their particular world. And in this, you can just see this. He wanted them to know in the same way that he has that same word, compassion, towards his people. He has compassion towards the Gentiles. But his compassion was because he says, man, they've been with me now for three days. And they don't have anything to eat. Now, here's what I love about that. One is, again, if you could just imagine this. The first day the disciples get there with Jesus, right? And they're throwing people at Jesus and hands are coming out and eyes are coming back. People are walking that weren't before. They were like, oh, that's cool. They go to bed and they wake up the next morning and those people are still there. Jesus does the same thing all over in. They go to bed, they wake up the next morning and those people are still there. And then Jesus talks about my compelling nature towards them, my compassion is not just their predicaments, their disabilities, their sicknesses. I care about the fact that they have something even simple like their daily bread. Now here's what I want you to notice in this. When we talk about care, it's not just that Jesus cares for only the big things. Do you see this? Jesus even cares about our daily bread and not just the Jewish people alone, but also the Gentiles. How much does he care? Well, then he goes on and he's going to give this this illustration. He's going to say to them, look, I can't send them away hungry because when they get out there, he uses this word, they're going to faint. The idea is they're just going to fold like a chair would, right? They're just going to fold if if I don't take care of them. And the disciples now say to him, and I want you to catch this, because the disciples get a really bad name all the time, right? When Christian was preaching about them, we saw just they missed the point. They were so ignorant. And then Christian made fun of them as if somehow Christian doesn't have problems. <laughs> but there's this side of it, right, where we pick on them. But I want you to see this, because this is even important for next week. They're going to grow. Now, how I know that is it's just where are we to get enough Bread. Now, if you remember right back in chapter 14, it's like, how are we even going to get morsels to feed this incredible of a crowd? That word that he uses there, enough, means how are we going to get, because Jesus, we saw you last time, that much bread. So much bread, he says, in such a desolate place so as to feed such a great crowd. That word feed actually is not just kind of like feed them. The idea is to fill them up. In the way that I would express it this way, you know how you feel after Thanksgiving? How do we get enough stuff so that these people feel like Americans will one day feel when they eat Thanksgiving food? (laughs) Full. 
Now, do you see their growth? Before, they're like, oh, I don't even know if we can find morsels. Now they're like, okay, Jesus, this is how I know you work. You're going to give us a ton, and they're going to be full to the gills. How are we going to get that? And the other reason I know that they're, they're growing is because Jesus never rebukes them here. I love that. Jesus says to them, well, how many loaves do you have? It's almost like, <laughs> and there they say seven, but it's almost like, oh, and Jesus also, <laughs> we got two fish. They knew Jesus was going to do something big. Is he able? Oh, and yours is starting to see how much does he care? In there it says, then he took those seven fishes and loaves, right? He gave thanks. And the word that he uses there is he broke them. And the idea is he broke them and broke them and broke them and broke them. And then he gave them and gave them and gave them and gave them. And then they gave them out and gave them out and gave them out. In other words, this thing just kept going. So much so that 4,000 people were, filled, were, were, were fed that day. And it says in there, and they all ate. And it's the same word for feed up earlier. They were satisfied. They were thanksgiving full. Just full. In other words, the same thing he did for the Jewish people back in chapter 14, he does for the Gentiles in chapter 15. Is Jesus able towards Gentiles? Yes. Does he care for Gentiles? Yes. Now, some people then look at it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember back in Matthew 14, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get you, Todd. Remember, he gave them 12 baskets full. Do you remember that? Well, in this case, he gives them what? Well, he doesn't love them as much as the Jewish people. <laughs> oh, I got you right where I want you. See, the word for basket back in chapter 14 is like a little lunch basket. It was, it was kind of like a, a, a mini basket. And it says they took up 12 of these mini baskets. This word for basket is used later when Paul escapes for, from Damascus. They put Paul in this kind of a basket. In other words, a basket that fits a full-sized Middle Eastern, that time period man, and they let him over the wall. So those seven baskets were much, much larger. In an interesting way, the Gentiles got more. See, this is so important that we see this because this is going to become huge later on in Acts 10 when Peter encounters Cornelius. He's going to say the same things that happened in Acts 2 happened in Acts 10. The same things that happened in, in Matthew 14 happened in Matthew 15. God is able and he cares for these people. The mission is to go to the nations. And 4,000 were fed, including the women and children. And it says then his ministry is over. But is everybody with me? So let me ask you this question, okay? I was kind of doing this with the ministry people. They're the children's ministry people. Does God, is he able towards the Gentiles? The answer is? Yes. Oh, you're doing so good. Some of you didn't respond well enough, and I'll stay here until you respond to me appropriately. <laughs> Does God care for the Gentiles? The answer is? Yes. Thank you. Much better. Good job. Your children would be so proud of you right now. Now, we've got to get that in our head because in this next story, we're going to start to talk about faith. 21 through 28, I loved studying this passage this week. Now, in 21 through 28, we're going to learn something about faith. This is so important that we get this in our noggins. 
The first thing that we're going to learn about faith is that authentic faith is available to what? Oh, this gospel is going to go, Matthew 28, to the nations. Now watch what I mean by this. They were up in Tyre and Sidon, and it says, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Notice again, he wasn't in any cities, came to him. Now there's a lot of things when we talk about to all that are so important here. One is that we know she's a Gentile. The gospel is open to all Gentiles. But the other clue that we see here, there's two things. One is she's Canaanite. And if you've ever understood anything about the Old Testament, that particular group of people was given over by God for their destruction. And they were supposed to wipe out the entire nation. They didn't. It's a whole other story. So don't, don't go there with your head yet. Stay with me. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus was going to the smartest of the smart Jewish people. He was going to guys like Nicodemus on this end of the spectrum. But Jesus now wanted us to see that this gospel was also for a woman that was a Canaanite who would have been despised by this particular group of people. The gospel is for everybody. Now, for those of you in here that don't know Jesus, and again, I don't know who that is, I just want you to get this. I remember one of the huge obstacles for me in coming to know Jesus. I'm like, no, he doesn't want someone like me. He doesn't want someone that's done what I've done with my life, the, the roads that I've gone down, the things that I've done. Jesus doesn't want me. And I'm so thankful that there was a person that came along and helped me to understand the gospel can overcome anything because the gospel transforms any person's life. The gospel is for everyone. Now, not only that, but authentic faith must have the right object. And I want you to see this. She comes and it says she cried out. The idea was as a Canaanite woman, she wouldn't have gone in amongst these Jewish people because she wouldn't have gone amongst them, one, because they were Jewish, two, because they were men. But she wanted help. And the thing you have to keep in your mind that you have to, to kind of see with this woman, imagine you had a child that was, that was agonizing, where it was being agonized by a demon, and you saw the one that can fix it. Would you just kind of go, Jesus, woohoo? you would be screaming like this lady. It's not a scream like somehow she was annoying, though the disciples are going to feel that way. It was the absolute heart of a mom that didn't know what to do with her child. But the thing that I want you to see in this that's so important is she cries out to him, O Lord, Son of David. More than likely, she'd gone through all the gods in her particular area. She'd probably tried to figure out how to do things with different people that would heal her. And then she hears about this one Jesus, this one who's the son of David, the promised king, the one that all the writers of the Old Testament had, had been pointing towards one day. She had the right object. It wasn't just faith in faith, right? I mean, I hear so many people, you know, you just got to have faith, the faith, the faith. You got to, you know, that's not it. Faith is not the key. The object is the key. She saw him as the kurios, the Lord, the, the one who reigns and rules over all things. She's, that's the one she's crying out to. She knows that's the one that can heal her daughter. So from a distance, she was crying out, oh, Lord, son of David. Oh, I think what's so cool about that is, is that she had the right object. But here's the second thing. We also find in there that she was humble. Faith is for all. She had the right object, 
But now watch this. Faith was humble. And here's what she says to him. Have mercy. I love that word. Oftentimes, and I'll kind of make it simple here, grace, we talk about God giving us what we don't deserve, right? Well, mercy is him not giving us what? What we do deserve, right? If we kept it simple. I know there's a lot more to it, but let's, just, let's, let's go there for a second. In other words, she's saying to him, I know I don't deserve anything. Oh, refreshing. Right? Living in the United States where we think, I'm owed everything. I'm owed the right to speak. We have First Amendment rights. Man, where I grew up in Wyoming... I have Second Amendment rights. I give guns to my children, my goodness. We pass those down from generation to generation when they turn six months. <laughs> but I love this about her. I know I don't deserve it. This is so, like, that's so beautiful. See, I think sometimes faith, I remember I was talking with one guy about faith one time, and he goes, well, you know what, though? I've got some questions for God. Oh, you do. Anytime somebody stood before God, they didn't go, God, excuse me, question number one. They fall on their face. And in this cool moment, this woman just says, have mercy. I don't deserve this. I get it. I think there's another side of it, though, where she just looked at it. And she goes, you're the only one. Nobody else can do this. I know I don't deserve for you to do this for my daughter. I get it. Oh, but have mercy. And I love what Jesus did here. He didn't answer her word. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if I was Jesus, okay, which is a scary thing to think about, I'd have been like, oh, oh, well, come here. Come here, lady. Let me give you a hug. My goodness. But he doesn't say a word. Now, let me, this is why I opened up the way that I opened. Is he not saying a word because he's not able? The answer is no. Is he not doing it because he doesn't care? The answer is no. Now, we're going to learn what he's doing here. But he doesn't say a word. <laughs> My favorite part of this whole story it's his disciples, look at that word, begged him. Begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. I think it's more of just this, I don't send her away. It's like, Jesus, I know you can heal her. But to get her to shut up, just heal the man's daughter, the woman's daughter. And yet Jesus again just remains silent for a second. And everybody's waiting for what he'll say. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Is Jesus able? Does he care? So what's he doing? Now the thing I love about what she does next is that faith always also worships. She was a distance off, and we find out that though she came, though, and she knelt. It's this Greek word proskuneo, which means to fall on your face. She fell on the face of Jesus. She got as close as she could to him and just fell on him saying, Lord, kurios, reigner and ruler of all things, the great one, help me. 
all I got for you. That's it. It's like Peter. Remember Peter when he was out there, he was supposed to come to Jesus in the water in Matthew 14. And all of a sudden it says that the waves got all around him. He saw him, he starts to fall. And he says, Kurios, not help me, but save me. Now again, if I'm Jesus, I'm just like, oh yes, I got you. And he says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? Is he able? Does he care? There must be something else going on here. Now that word dogs, just to kind of maybe soften the blow a little bit, it's not like a mongrel out by the trash heap. This would have been like the pet dogs. For those of us who are Americans, we're like, oh yeah, part of the family then. <laughs> As someone who grew up on a farm and a ranch, they are animals, not human. Just so we all get that here, okay? <laughs> but what he's doing is telling a parable. He was always doing that, right? I want to tell you a parable. Now, why did he tell parables, though? Well, he tells parables so that people that have eyes to see and ears to hear will hear it, but the other people won't get it. We find that like back in Matthew 15, right? Or excuse me, oh shoot, back in Matthew 13 with this idea in which Jesus calls out to them. And the reason he's doing uh, uh, these parables is, is so that those that have eyes to see can see, those that have ears to hear will hear. Now, here's what I love about what this, this lady does. Ah, oh, shoot, now I'm lost. Oh, well. What in the world happened here? I don't know. Okay, we'll go there. She says back to him, watch this, yes, reigner and ruler of all things, yet even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, she gets it. She's like, oh, I get your parable. I get what you're doing here, Jesus. You're telling a parable. You're telling a parable. And I know it. And then she goes and not only knows he's telling the parable, but she adds to it. True, Lord. But even the little pet dogs get the scraps, right? In other words, to go back to it, she had eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, the other part of this, and I think this is, I'm just going to go past this, is that it's not only that they have eyes to see and ears to hear, but it's persistent. Here's the word Jesus says about her. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. All throughout Matthew, he's been saying not great is your faith, but what? Little is your faith. That word great, it comes from the Greek word megas, mega. He says, woman, you got yourself some mega faith. In other words, all these obstacles that kept putting in her way, she was not going to be stopped. She was going to get to the Savior. Now, here's why I think this is so important for us. I think sometimes we think of faith and we think of it as like a dainty little thing. But here's the thing I've found about people that know Jesus. People that truly know Jesus that have authentic faith like we've been talking about, you can't keep them from Jesus. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, man, there was just this side of it in which nothing was going to keep me from being in the Word and nothing was going to keep me from being in prayer. Nothing was going to keep me from talking about Jesus. I remember just pressing in, like Jesus talks about, they will press into the kingdom. I was pressing into the kingdom. Now, again, we have ebbs and flows in life, 
But the thing I've found that as these obstacles come along in people's lives, they may have to hit a wall. It may be very difficult, but you cannot stop God's people because we know whom we believe in. We know who he is. We know that he's reigner and ruler of all things. We know that he is able. We know that he cares. And it may take a few things that cause us to get to that point, but you cannot stop God's people. And let me just say this to you. I really think the church in the United States needs this again today. I promise you, at the next election cycle, you're going to watch Christians that are going to go, oh, who's going to be president if we don't have the right president and the right congress and the right senate oh, how can we follow jesus come on come on our Savior reigns and rules over all things. He has the life of every leader in his hand. I'm in a serious thing. I know that some of you are walking through some difficult times right now. Persist. Persist. See, at the end of this, it might have been a short time, but I love this. Through this persistence, Jesus says, be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly from a distance, not in front of him, from a distance. Stay in it. Don't quit. Now, again, I think he was teaching them something, but I think he's also teaching his disciples something. He's like, do you see faith? When faith comes to life, it's for everyone. When you see faith, it's one of those things that ultimately has a right object. It's meant to, for, to draw us into worship. It's meant for us to find mercy. It's meant for us to see the king for who he truly is. But it's meant to be something that we persist in like the widow did in front of the unrighteous judge. We keep going at it because we believe that on the other side of this persistence is the reward of Jesus, if not in this life, then the life to come. Keep going. Cornerstone, cornerstone. If you fell asleep, wake back up. I'm serious. My heart for Cornerstone is that we be a people of faith that are persistent. My hope is in 2024, we're not spoiled little kids wondering who's going to be our leader because we already know who our leader is. It's King Jesus. Amen. As we hit the difficult times, we persist through it knowing that on the other side of this difficulty, there's reward. I'm not talking health, wealth, gospel type of stuff. I'm talking the great reward of our Father who's in heaven. Cornerstone. My heart is that we never lose sight of the King. That's my heart this morning. Amen. <laughs> See, even the mouth of babes, they're like, you preach. No. Our Savior reigns. If you're sick right now and going through difficulty, you understand he can manipulate any part of your body. He can rearrange molecules in you if he wanted to. You get that, right? Now, sometimes by faith we escape the sword, and sometimes we receive the sword. 
but we still go through it by faith in the one who can, in the one who cares.